8 and 31. I've got a pretty, a, a pretty pool, a pretty full plate this morning. Amen. And um, we're going to take our time, though, and work our way through it. And uh, if we don't get through with it, can you come back? I mean, can you... Can we look at it some more next week? I mean, that's kind of where we are with this study. We've um, hit a gusher here. There's a lot of truth that I think is, um, is helping us. Um, for those of you who are new to our study, we're, we're looking at um, our responses and, and how our enemy is trying to manipulate our lives by manipulating things in our lives that we would then respond incorrectly to. Um, and so... I've been asking you to pay attention to your responses, and I hope that you've been doing that. Um, I'm not asking anybody to come to come share it with the with the group this morning, but but um, do you do you know what your worst response was last week? Amen. I do. Amen. I'm not. Amen. I've already apologized. So no, it's not for you to know. But amen. Um, are you hearing me, right? And there was, like, I look back over my week and all the times I responded last week, man, there was one time that I could have really done a lot better job. Come on, are you with me? Amen. And so we've got to evaluate these things and remember how we respond um, affects, you know, is the difference between winning and losing uh, in, in different situations of life. But we also said that how we respond reveals hidden things of the heart, um, in other words, we should ask ourselves, you know, why certain situations annoy us, why um, certain things um, just infuriate us. You know, somebody not put their blinker on, next thing you know, you know, you've done talked about three generations of their family. You don't even know who they are. You know, so wh- why? You know, what, what, is, what is that all about, right? And it's things like this that the Holy Spirit can use to help us understand uh, things in our lives, why we respond the way we respond to certain things. So anyway, the, the passage, and we're going to come back to this and look at greater, in greater detail at a lot of the verses that follow this one, but um, verse 31, Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so obviously what he's asking us here is, you know, what will you say to these things? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to say about it? And to simplify it, we've said response equals thoughts, words, and actions. So what are you going to think? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? All right? A response, again, is made up of three basic components. Um, thinking, speaking, and then acting. Now, sometimes that happens so quick, it almost seems like a knee-jerk response. Uh, next thing you know, we've done said some things that in our minds we didn't really think we spoke before we thought. But what you've just identified in your life is a pre-programmed response. In other words, you've responded that way so many times for so long that it becomes automatic. And, and you know, you may look at this and you go, well, I, I didn't really think about it before I said those words and did those things. Well, it's because there was a time when you did, but it has become woven into uh, the way you respond. And again, changing these things is going to equal real change in our lives. Amen. Taking control of the way you respond is one of the key ways that we take control of our lives. Right? If, if we don't control the way we respond, in other words, if, if we're being influenced by the enemy to respond certain ways in certain situations then he has tremendous influence over the way we feel, over the things that we say, and over the things that we do. What we're learning as believers is that we need to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we need to allow our Father, amen, and His ways and His wisdom to influence the things that we think, the things that we say, and ultimately then the things that we do. Just a few quick thoughts. We said never underestimate the power of, of your response. How you respond to the chaos around you will determine whether you are part of the answer or part of the problem. Now this is the this is the one that I really want us to kind of focus in on in the days ahead beginning with this morning. Bringing your words and actions into alignment with God's words and actions creates a defense around you that cannot be penetrated. Creates a defense around you that cannot 
be penetrated. What we see from Scripture is the right response will protect you and cause the devil to flee from you. But the opposite of that is also true. The wrong response will expose you to the attacks of the enemy. So your response, come on now, your response is the difference between victory and defeat. It's not an exaggeration to say your response is a matter of life and death. Now let me show you how the Holy Spirit just confirms things in in my life, all right? Um, At the Foundry, things have obviously been unique all over the world because of COVID, and things have been unique at the Foundry. Uh, In addition to COVID, um, we've had some issues with the heating and air system in the chapel. Uh, Thank God, you know, the money that was needed to repair that has come in, and the repairs have been made. As a matter of fact, they're having the first graduation this morning since February's graduation, so we're thankful for that. I mean, people have graduated, we just haven't had the ceremony. But obviously, just one graduate, each graduate had one family member that could come, just again to meet the CDC guidelines and all that. Um, so we've been meeting in the outreach, or, or basically, uh, as somebody said, we're worshiping where we eat, amen, in, in the dining hall there. And, um, and so it's kind of crowded, and obviously, we have men and women in that room, and, and we try to keep them separated. Uh, you know, for reasons that I don't think need to be explained. And so um, after a class, one of the ladies was coming down the hallway, and so you're not supposed to interact with the men, but she was trying to get a note card to me. And um, and so she's like, you know, did this and kind of stuck her arm in through the crowd. You know, all the men were waiting for the ladies to leave. And uh, so I didn't really see her face, but I, I got the card. And, you know, sometimes they hand me things they want me to pray about or have some question that maybe they're a little intimidated to ask her. So I didn't really know what it was. Well, I, I got in my truck, and, um, and the note card was about response, okay? And she said that our, in, in the note card, she said, I wish I had it. I'll read it to you verbatim. But she said that we need to learn to respond to God's ability. Our responsibility is to respond to His ability. Amen. Now, I'm not teaching on what I'm teaching here at the Foundry. Okay, we've been teaching out of John the 8th chapter at the Foundry, right? And so uh, the next morning, I wanted to find out who, who, who gave me the card, but it just didn't work out. And so they were all, the women were loading the van to go to the, to the store, and so I just walked up to the open door of the van. I said, who handed me this, you know, and and the lady was like, it was me, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, where, I got to know why you handed me this. I didn't want to tell her I was preaching on this, you know, and um, she goes, I just felt led of the Holy Spirit to give it to you, you know, I could tell she was kind of a little, you know, like not sure she did something wrong or something, and I'm like, sister, you have no idea. I've been preaching on on the importance and the power of our response at Heritage on Sundays. And, um, and she goes, well, I just felt led to give that to you. And I said, well, it's, it's confirming. Amen? So think, that, think about that again. We can respond to the problem or we can respond to God's ability. I'll never hear the word responsibility again without thinking about responding to His ability. But what we're talking about here in our response is our responsibility. You're responsible for how you respond. I'm responsible for how I respond. I can't control what other people say and do. And it's a miserable person who lives their lives trying to control what other people say and do. My friend, it's the enemy who tries to control what other people say and do. Are you hearing me? And so if we're trying to control other people, and then, then we're, we're not living as God created us to live. We're, we're going after and pursuing life uh, much in the same way that our enemy uh, pursues us. But what we do have control over is how we respond to what other people say and do. And if we will learn to respond the way God instructs us to respond in His Word, then we will always win, amen, even if it looks like we're losing. We will always come out on top. And it's important for us to understand this. So your response is the difference between victory and defeat. It's not an exaggeration to say your response is a matter of life and death. Now we... For those of you who, may, again, may be new to this, to this study, you're like, wow, that sounds extreme to me, Pastor Mark. Well, we've spent weeks now building a case for all of this from the Word of God. Now, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians, the 6th chapter. Ephesians, chapter 6. Praise God. 
Ephesians chapter 6. And, and of course, Ephesians chapter 6 is, is known for a lot of things, but one of the main things that Ephesians 6 is known for is um, this is where we find the put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Where we are uh, instructed in Scripture uh, as um, soldiers in the army of the Lord um, to suit up and to put on, amen, the, the whole armor of God. And he lists here um, what that armor is, um, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, um, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Um, and, and each one of these pieces of armor um, are, you know, obviously important in the same way that they would be important for a soldier going into combat um, he wouldn't want to go without his helmet. He certainly wouldn't want to go without the sword of the Spirit, the sword of, which is the Word of God, or, or in, the, in a physical sense, you know, the sword that, that he keeps in, in, in his belt, his, his weapon. Uh, nor would he want to go w- without the shield of faith um, because that shield is what would stop in those days. Warfare was not bullets, but it was arrows, um, and it would, it would stop those arrows from penetrating through um, and, and striking uh, that, that particular soldier. And so the, the thought is that the Apostle Paul um, wrote this uh, because he was, <laughs> he, he was very familiar with Roman soldiers. Uh, he was imprisoned by them. He was uh, escorted by them. And, and so the thinking is that he was one day, you know, looking at a, a Roman soldier in, in all, you know, uh, his garb is his his you know fully dressed, and and the Holy Spirit began to point out to him the spiritual parallels, uh, and that we as believers uh, need to put on the armor of God um, for ourselves. I think the simple thing here that maybe shouldn't be said, but will be said anyway, is that a soldier's armor does him no good. Um, if it's in the trunk of his car or if it's, uh, you know, if it's in a closet somewhere. If, if, if the armor is not being worn by that soldier, then that armor can't protect uh, that, um, that soldier from the attacks of the enemy. So for the, for the armor to be of benefit, it must be put on. And so in the same way, um, we must learn how to put on the armor, the spiritual armor that's been provided for us. Now, I'm not going to dig deep into this today because um, there's some other things that I feel like we need to get put in place first, understand first, uh, before we dig into uh, the armor of God. But the one thing that I, I want to, to at least introduce to you this morning is let's use the helmet of salvation as an example. To put on the helmet of salvation... Um, I know that some folks, you know, believe that, you know, you actually act like you're putting the helmet on. If that helps you, do it, okay? But to effectively put on the helmet of salvation means to think like, speak like, act like someone who has been given the gift of salvation. Amen. There's a lot of saved people who don't think like saved people. There are a lot of saved people who don't even understand what it means to be saved. They think, they think if you're saved, that just simply means you go to heaven when you die. My friend, sozo is speaking of, that's the Greek word for salvation. It's speaking of everything that belongs to you as a child of God. For instance, healing belongs to you as a child of God. And so to put on the helmet of salvation means to put on yourself what it means to be given the gift of salvation, which includes uh, by his stripes you were healed. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? To the, the breastplate of righteousness. There's a lot of people, if you've been born again, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are righteous, but there, there are a lot of people who get up and leave their house every morning without putting on what the Bible tells them about their righteousness. In other words, they tend to be more aware, more conscious of, of their former sin than their, their new righteousness in Christ Jesus. So to put on the armor of God is, is not like putting on physical clothing in the sense that, that you know, you have something in your closet that you strap onto yourself. But, but in a spiritual sense, 
you are not leaving your house to go engage the enemy that's loose in this world without realizing, without understanding, without in the forefront of, of, of your life and, and, and faith that, that you've received the helmet of salvation and that you're saved. And because you're saved, you're not like everybody else. Are you hearing me? A saved man, a thousand falls on one side, ten thousand on the other, but out of eleven thousand folks, he's the only one left standing. That's what it means to have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Are you following me? Praise God. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into that deeper. But when he says to put on, it it, it was how do I say this? When when you're a baby, you need somebody to dress you. But as you grow and develop and mature, whose responsibility is it? Um, you know, uh, to dress yourself. It's your responsibility to dress yourself, right? Like, for instance, the Bible says, put on the garment of praise. I feel like a lot of people, not at Heritage, but I feel like a lot of people show up at church wanting somebody to put the garment of praise on them. They're, they're waiting for, for something to fall out of the sky and hit them in the head, you know, to, to worship God. No, put on the garment of praise is speaking of a deliberate, intentional act. Amen? Are you hearing me? So, so, Put on Christ. Put on love. There's all kinds of things the Bible tells us to put on. And, and what he's saying here is that, that we should be clothed in this. We, we should be, be conscious, be aware uh, in the same way that we're conscious and aware of, of what we've put on physical clothing to, to come to church this morning, right? Okay, we'll get to that um, more uh, in, uh, in the future. But let's, let's just, for now, let's begin here. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse number 10, Ephesians 6 and 10. Look at me before we read the verse, okay? Look at me before we read the verse. Um, I, like to, I like to try to tell you where we're headed, okay? Um, and, and so when I said a moment ago that we've got more to talk about than we can get to this morning, there are no less than five portions of Scripture that I feel like the Holy Spirit is breathing on and wants us um, as, a, as a family of faith, to, to join together. To, when I say join together, um, a lot of times we may know what the Bible says over here in James. We may know what the Bible says over here in, in, in uh, uh, you know, Ephesians or what have you, but we never really understand how they all dovetail together. And so if you think of each of those different verses as pieces of a puzzle, but it's only when you join all those pieces together that you're able to see the full picture, Okay. So I know sometimes it's, it's challenging to, to do this with two portions of Scripture, much less five. Um, but we're going to take our time again. Uh, if it takes us till middle of January, it's fine. Uh, but I really, again, just in my heart know from the Holy Spirit that this is something that He's wanting to uh, uh, present to you, equip you with, help you see and, and understand in a, in, a, in a very, when I say in a greater way, what I mean by a greater way, in a more practical way, in a more practical way. Do you understand practical? Um, the, the, the Word of God uh, and the power that is in it uh, is, is based upon, you know, that power being released in your life is, is based upon you being able to do something with it. Um, Jesus taught us that the difference is in the doing. And so in order for us to be able to take the Word of God and apply it to our lives, do it, do the Word of God, it, we have to understand it in a practical enough way to be able to do that. Amen. And so that, that is what's the best way I can say it right now. That's what's in my heart. And so the first of these five portions of Scripture is right here in Ephesians chapter 6. And let's begin at verse number 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Well, this word finally, the sixth chapter of Ephesians also happens to be the final chapter in the book of Ephesians. And so this is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul um, bringing the book of Ephesians uh, to, uh, to a close. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, and having done all to stand, it ends with a period, the next verse, we're not going to go any further in this, this verse for this morning. It says, having done all to stand, then he begins the next verse, stand therefore. So when you've done everything that you know how to do to stand, what is he saying? Keep standing. Just keep standing. Just hang in there. Hold the line. Amen. Is, is, is what uh, he is instructing us to do. Now, I have, and I'm sure you have, many of you have studied this idea of put on the whole armor of God. And we're going to go back through those, believing for greater clarity, practical understanding of how we can do that on a daily basis and take advantage of what's been given to us, take advantage of what's been provided for us. But I think to have the proper context, we need to understand, according to the Word of God, what it is we're putting the armor on for. In other words, what what is it that we're uh, getting suited up to defend ourselves against? And if you go back to um, uh, verse number 11, he tells us, uh, I'll bring it up here, he tells us, put on the whole armor of God, so whole, not, not, portion, not partial, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So a lot of times we hear this, and I'm not saying you would be wrong to say we're putting on the armor of God to stand against the devil. Okay, But what we have here is, um, is, is not just an instruction on, you know, to stand and to stand against the devil, but, but he's, he's also telling us how to do it. He's not just telling us what to do, but, but he's telling us how to stand against the devil. And, and the first thing that we've got to understand that in order to stand against the devil, in order to defeat the devil, we have to understand and stand against the wiles of the devil. So it's not just standing against the devil. I'm not again. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that, in my opinion, is uh, is a bit too vague. It's in other words, it, it it doesn't it doesn't give us enough to really grab hold of, because um, the devil can be kind of slippery. If you hadn't figured that out by now, all right. And so when he says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, not just stand against the devil, but stand against the wiles of the devil. If you want to beat the devil, you've got to beat him at his wiles. If you never learn how to stand against his wiles, he will run roughshod over you every single time. He will defeat you time and time again. And the whole time you can be thinking, I'm standing against the devil, I'm standing against the devil. He didn't just say stand against the devil. He said stand against the wiles of the devil. And so the armor that we're putting on is strategically designed to equip us to not just defeat the devil, but to defeat him at his wiles, to overcome the wiles of the devil. So what are the wiles of the devil? This word wiles means schemes, the schemes of the devil. In the original language, the word is methodia, M-E-T-H-O-D-E-I-A. We get our English word, obviously, method from that. Wiles should be understood to mean the devil's plotting, his methods, his tactics. Listen to this now. The systematic way he works against you, that we may be able to stand against the schemes and the methods and the systematic way that the devil tries to work against you in life. All right? Now, praise God. So, let's make sure one more time. All right? Walking in victory then boils down to overcoming the devil's wiles. You beat the devil by beating his wiles. Every wile, listen now, every wile, every tactic, not most, listen to me. I, I even asked the Holy Spirit because I really felt like that's what he spoke to my heart. Every, the word every is a strong word, right? Every single one. And I asked him, I said, Lord, does really every? And, and I really feel like he said, confirmed it, yes, every. And then I have spent weeks meditating on this, trying to come up with some scenario 
where it's, it's, it's not this way, and I have yet to come up with one, so I'm confidently telling you this morning that every while, every tactic, every scheme the devil uses against you has one goal in mind. Get you to respond the way he wants you to respond. Every strategy, every tactic, every scheme... Every time the devil is trying to whisper something in your ear, every time the devil is trying to entice you with some kind of temptation, every time the devil is, you know, and again, we don't often see it as him, right? Let's go back to somebody cutting you off in traffic. You get mad at that person. Remember, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Whether I'm not trying to say that devil's de- that person's demon possessed that pulled out in front of you, but if the devil can use some circumstance, some situation in your life to get you to respond with anger, with 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 hatefulness, with rage, with vengeance, with retaliation, right? So again, every strategy, not most, not some, every single strategy, every single tactic, every wile of the devil has one purpose in mind. Manipulate you, manipulate me into responding in a way that the devil wants you to respond. Okay? Now, this for me opened up an understanding of the armor of God that I had not previously had. Because, again, he didn't just say stand against the devil. I understand we put on the whole armor of God, stand against the devil. But the whole armor of God is to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's to stand against his strategies, against his schemes, okay? So, again, let's go back to the helmet of salvation. If I wake up with symptoms in my body, what am I going to say to those symptoms? If I put on the helmet of salvation, I'm going to begin to say, by his stripes I was healed. If I put on the helmet of salvation, I'm going to, be, I'm going to respond according to what salvation means to the situation at hand. I'm not just going to say, oh, here we go again. I'm trying to come down with something. Uh, you know, it was just a matter of time before it, it came to our house, blah, blah, blah. See, that's what the devil, again, he's wanting you to respond. He's wanting you to, to say what he wants you to say. He's poking you and he's prodding you. Do you remember the little game? And I don't mean to trivialize this, but I'm trying to help you connect with this. Do you remember the little game we played as kids? where if you won the game, you responded by saying, made you look, I made you look, ha ha, I made you look, right? Made you this, made you that. In other words, that's, that's the game the devil plays. Every one of his schemes, every while that he has, is he's trying to make you look, he's trying to make you say, he's trying to make you do. He can't make you do anything. So he's going to manipulate things around you, Right? And so when the action comes, you chose to do it, I chose to do it, you chose to say it, I chose to say it. The devil didn't make me say it, but I said it in response to something that he was operating in or some person he was working through around me. So this is what we're suiting up to defend ourselves against. We're, we're putting on the whole armor of God so that our responses will reflect righteousness, so that our responses will reflect truth, so our responses will reflect a faith, so our responses, right? We won't be shooting our mouths off as if we were never given a shield of faith. We won't be shooting our mouths off as if we've never been given the gift of salvation. We won't be shooting our mouths off as if we do not have a breastplate of righteousness, Or as if our feet are not shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? That's what, I can't wait to get to that one there. But let me just give you a little glimpse into it. It means wherever you go, peace goes. Amen? You're going to bring peace. Peace goes everywhere your footsteps. Peace goes with you. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's do this now. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll probably end there this morning. I don't know. Let's just see how much time we have left. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is one. So Ephesians 6 is one of the five portions of Scripture. Now, here's the second one, 1 Peter chapter 5. All right? 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's begin at verse number 5. So 1 Peter 5 and 5. And, Christy, for some reason I lost uh, connection there, so it's slide 43. 
Thank you, sister. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. All right, look at me for a minute. I'll talk to you more about this later. But do you see that where it says be clothed with humility? I believe humility is spiritual under armor. All right, and I'm not just talking about the brand of athletic clothing. Soldiers who wore armor wore something under that armor, okay? Um, in the 14th century, it became known as a gambeson. And what was a gambeson? A gambeson um, was a thick, padded, quilted undergarment that the soldier would put on first so that when he put the armor on, the armor would, would be comfortable, all right? Um, so if you just, you know, if you just like put, a, you know, a metal breastplate against your shoulders and sides of your neck and your skin, right, that's going to be pretty uncomfortable. Are you following me? So in order to make that armor comfortable when they wore it, they would put the gambeson on first. And, and gambesons had developed over the years. I'm not saying Rome necessarily had these, but gambesons developed over the years where they literally would sometimes serve as a light armament without the rest of the armor on. So humility is spiritual under armor. And if you think about it for a moment, if you do not clothe yourself first in humility, you're not going to be very comfortable in a breastplate of righteousness. The Bible even says that you have to submit yourself to the righteousness of God. Amen. And so the only way you're ever going to be comfortable, oh, sweet Jesus, the only way you're ever going to be comfortable in the gift of righteousness that you've been given is if you clothe yourself in humility. And to clothe yourself in humility means to recognize that I can't make myself righteous no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I, I strive to be good. I can never be good enough to make myself right before God in the eyes of God. And so I have to submit myself to His righteousness. I have to clothe myself with humility. And when I clothe myself in humility, now all of a sudden I get very comfortable in my breastplate of righteousness. Are you seeing this? All right, amen. That was, as Brother Keith Moore says, that was worth getting up, combing your hair for and coming to church right there, okay? Now, thank you, Jesus. So we're putting on humility. You've got to put that on before you put on the whole armor of God. Okay, verse number six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. All right, I got a few more minutes. Let me try to work my way through some of this, okay? First of all, I want to draw your attention to the phrase, your adversary. Your adversary. You have an adversary, and according to the Bible, he's like a hungry lion seeking prey to devour. We should not fear, but we should absolutely take him seriously. Are you hearing me? I'm not telling you to fear him. I'm not telling you to fear him. He makes his living by deceiving, and he's been deceiving human beings for thousands and thousands of years. He has gotten very, very skilled at it. And no matter how intelligent you may be, no matter how uh, experienced you may think you are, you are no match for him on your own. Take him seriously. Do not fear him, but do not, please hear me, do not take him lightly. Your adversary, you have an adversary, he is like a roaring lion, seeking prey to devour. We should not fear, but we should absolutely take him seriously. Jesus said of your enemy, your adversary, he only comes, he has one agenda, steal, kill, destroy. Now verse 40, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that verse goes on to say, slide 48 is what I meant to say, not verse 48, Christy. The next phrase I want to draw your attention to is seeking whom he may devour. 
seeking whom he may devour. In that phrase, I want to draw your attention to the word may. The word may is very important. Because what he's telling us here is that there are those that he may devour, and then there are those that he may not devour. Amen? It doesn't say he's just anybody he wants to devour, he devours. No, he is seeking. He wouldn't have to seek if, if anybody was available for him to devour. He wouldn't have to look for somebody that he may devour. If he could devour everybody, it wouldn't be hard to find anybody to devour at any point. Are you following me? This is important now. So the adversary, your adversary, my adversary, who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus identified him in this way that we, we absolutely need to take serious. The Bible says he's like a lion seeking prey to devour, and he's seeking prey that he may devour. He's trying to find uh, you know, a, an individual that he can devour. So if the devil may devour some and may not devour others, what determines the difference between those that he may devour and those that he may not? In other words, what makes you a may devour? What makes you a may not devour? I don't know about you. I want to be a may not devour. Amen. Okay. So what, again, I'm not asking you for religious traditional opinions this morning. I'm at, what does the Bible say? Okay. So the Bible says that you become one the devil um, may devour by giving him place. Or you become one the devil may not devour by giving him no place. Now, one of the most important things that you can ever know about the devil as a born-again believer is that he cannot do anything in your life unless you give him place to do it. The devil cannot mess up your life without your cooperation. He could not mess up the Garden of Eden, although he wanted to destroy the Garden of Eden, the place that God made for mankind that was beautiful, that was good, and God even said very good at the end of creation. The devil could not kick in the front gate, go into that garden, and mess it up. He didn't have the power to do it. He didn't have the authority to do it. But what did he do? He tricked the ones who did have the power and authority to mess it up. He tricked them into messing it up for him. And this is the exact uh, approach that he he brings to every human being. He cannot mess up your life. He cannot mess up my life without your cooperation, without my cooperation. And so he's trying to trick us and deceive us into messing our lives up for him. Now, here comes the third group of scriptures, and we'll end here. I've been ending for a while, haven't I? Amen. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Ephesians 4 and 25. Let me remind you that the Bible says that in the last days people will not endure sound doctrine. Okay? And, you know, I heard a pastor say one time that sermon nets create Christian nets. Amen? All right. And so... Um, we're digging into some meat this morning, okay? Remember, you can fix a bottle with milk in it a lot quicker and a lot easier than you can fix meat and potatoes. And you can eat and digest milk a lot easier and faster than you can eat and digest milk, meat and potatoes, right? Okay. So it takes a little time for the meat and taters, but they'll make a difference. Praise God. All right. So we're talking about becoming a may not devour. Well, the way the devil may not devour you because he can't do anything in your life unless you give him place to do it, unless you cooperate with him. So notice what he says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Give to him something to give 
him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Let's look at just real quick some of the things that he talks about here. He says, give no place to the devil. And he lists some very practical uh, ways that people give place to the devil. The first thing he talks about is lying and or deceiving. Now let me remind you that the, that, <laughs> that the book of, of, of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus. Okay? I know that it may be hard for you to believe that a born-again man or woman actually tells a lie. But he's talking to people who are born again and he's saying, you need to quit your lying. Because when you lie, you're giving place to the devil. You need to quit deceiving. Exaggeration, by the way, is a, is a form of, of lying. Come on, are you with me? When we stretch the truth, call it what it is now. Amen. Anger and or wrath. Anger, wrath. Anger is when you just get really mad. Wrath is when you was, we might say lose your temper, blow your stack. Okay. Stealing, cheating. You don't have to cheat to win. Amen. Somebody that feels like you got to cheat to win obviously doesn't have their helmet of salvation on because that helmet of salvation includes everything you will ever need in life. And he said, if you desire, ask, and it will be given to you by my Father in heaven. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he has no sorrow with it. So if we feel like we've got to cut corners and cheat, what does it say at Bob Sykes Barbecue? People get the water and then go fill their cup up with uh, Mountain Dew. Come on now. That's stealing. Amen. It's stealing. Showing up 30, 45 minutes late and clocking in for getting paid for the full day. It's stealing. See, we, we think stealing somebody walking in with a gun robbing a convenience store. Or, or No, no, no. No, no. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Arguing, quarreling, that's what clamor is. Clamor is loud quarreling. Arguing, quarreling, strife. Speaking words that tear down. Now, I'm just trying to give you an overview here of of some of the things that he's talking about in this verse that would give place to the devil in your life or in my life. You ever walked in a room where somebody's been fussing and fighting? You never even heard the fussing and fighting, but the atmosphere in the room was so thick you could cut it with a knife? Satan is identified in the scriptures by Jesus as Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the flies. You do realize that there are certain things that attract flies. And there are certain things that attract demonic spirits. Anger, bitterness, strife, quarreling, speaking words that tear down, um, all this stuff, it attracts demonic spirits. Now, I'm clearly not here to teach on all those things this morning because we went through the list rather quickly. What I am wanting you to see, though, is that every one of these things have one thing in common. Have you figured it out yet? They are all responses they are all responses. Think about it. What is a life? It's not a response. Right? When you was a kid and you broke the lamp and you knew you was in trouble. Who broke the lamp? Not me. Right? It's a response. It's a fear-based response. You're afraid you're going to get in trouble. Afraid you're going to get grounded from your bicycle. 
come on now, I'm right about it. So we respond rather than with honesty, we lie. Why do people exaggerate things to their neighbor? Because they want their neighbor to think more highly of themselves than they think of them their own self. It's a response. Anger is a response. I know a lot of folks are angry all the time. I don't know why. That's that learned response, that automatic response. Let's keep going. Stealing, cheating. Why do people steal and cheat? Because they don't think they're going to have enough. Why do people rob from God and not pay their tithes? Because they're afraid they won't have enough. It's a response. Bitterness, unforgiveness, revenge, retaliation, arguing, quarreling. All of these things are responses. Strife is a response. Speaking words that tear down. It's a response. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. So we're not going to turn there, but we're going to get the third of the fifth one while you're standing, okay? I said there was five passages of scriptures we're going to hook together. You still with me? Everybody good? The third portion of scripture is Matthew 5. Do you understand now why Jesus told us things like turn the other cheek? Does it make more sense to you now? When Jesus said go the second mile? How about bless those who curse you? Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus told us, do not take offense. Do not take up another person's offense. How about when Jesus told us to forgive one another? This might be the most practical one of them all, but you do realize Jesus told me and you, do not worry. What what is he telling us here? He's telling us how to respond. Do you realize how many people respond with when they're cursed, they curse back? How many people, if you strike out at them, they're going to strike back, lash back at you? Seek to do evil to those that hate them. All these things, right? You say, well, is Jesus just wanting us to be the doormat of the world? No, he's not wanting you to be the doormat of the world. But you will never be the doormat of the world unless you become the doormat of the devil. And the way you become the doormat of the devil is to respond the way the devil wants you to respond in these situations. You see, we're afraid to forgive because we're afraid somehow if we forgive people who've wronged us that we're like justifying their behavior. My friend, you are not justifying their behavior. To forgive somebody who's wronged you is not saying that it was okay that they wronged you. It's just you saying, I'm not going to respond with unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and and vengefulness at you. I'm going to respond with love. I'm going to pray for you because my fight is not a flesh and blood fight. I don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I wrestle with demonic spirits that are trying to manipulate people and circumstances and situations around me to try to get me to respond in such a way that would give the devil place in my life to mess up my life. And I've done become too wise by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to fall for that junk anymore. Do you realize do you realize how it frustrates the devil when somebody treats you ugly and you pray for them? He worked and tried and developed and manipulated and now all of a sudden he's got somebody having a bad day that's acted ugly to you and he's just sitting there waiting for you just to show your tail, man. Just that witness you've been building at work. Now all of a sudden you letting four-letter words fly. Excuse my French. No, no, no. You just go, man, you know, let me, let me just get over here and pray for this person right quick. Man, you just, I mean, you, you just, you just put Clorox in the devil's cornflakes, man. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. Amen. Almost responded in a poor way there, didn't I, brother? Amen. Can I pray for you? Amen. Father, thank you so much. For those that are here this morning, those that are joining us online, I thank you, Father, that you're teaching us. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices, Lord. 
We're not blinded to this anymore. We recognize the games that he's playing and the place that he's trying to get in our lives, the stronghold he's trying to establish in our lives through the ways that we respond to people and circumstances, things, situations around us. And so, Father, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the whole armor of God that we're going to respond to people like like righteous men and women, the righteous men and women that we are, like saved people, Father. We're not going to act like the heathen, Lord. We're going to act like somebody that's been washed in the blood of Jesus. We're going to talk like somebody that's been washed in the blood of Jesus. We're going to forgive people like like the, the one that we've been born of and from. It's who we are. Father, it's more than just taking the high road. It's thwarting and stopping the enemy and developing an impenetrable defense around our lives. And Father, we pray over every member of our family of faith here at Heritage that's dealing with symptoms in their bodies this morning. Father, we don't deny the symptom exists, but we deny its right to exist. Because as your sons and daughters, we have been healed by the stripes Jesus took upon his back. And so we put on healing this morning, Lord. The the helmet of salvation is, among other things, a helmet of healing. And we put on that helmet of healing today. And Father, we say that this is a no-COVID zone here at Heritage. And Lord, any other viruses, stomach viruses, 24-hour viruses, flu viruses, uh, colds, Lord, all these things that, that people are dealing with, Lord, right now. We, we use the name of Jesus against these things. We say that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We're not going to speak gloom and doom and negativity and ventilators and how many people died. Lord, that's not what we're going to say to these things. We're going to say what you say. And Father, that the devil behind it all is under our feet. And Lord, we recognize him as being behind all of this. And we have authority over him. We don't have authority over foreign countries and what this may say or this may do, but Lord, we have authority over the devil that's trying to use these things against us and our family. And we stand on that now in Jesus' name. We dismiss him from his assignment. We command him to go. We give him no place. If we've given him place, we ask you to forgive us, Father. And we take that place back now in Jesus' name. And we believe you for good things, for a wonderful Christmas, Father, as we celebrate the birth of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.